The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In a previous message, we dealt with the topic of baptism and what it means. The occasion of that message was the baptism of one of God's little sheep that had come forward to join the church. Today, we go deeper into the concept of baptism, focusing upon the method by which it should be performed, as well as the candidates to which it applies. We as old Baptists believe in believer's baptism, and we believe in baptism by immersion. Join us for our study today on this important ordinance of the church. First, we have a song selection that we hope will be edifying and uplifting to you. Then please stay tuned for the message.
This morning, I want to go back and talk a little more about baptism. We had this sweet service last Sunday morning where we were uh, blessed to be able to baptize one into the fold here. And I just feel like we're not done with that topic. So in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, we'll start there to get the context and read down through verse 22. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We saw that this is the foundation of baptism, and certainly the only reason we have to baptize is the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. By which he also went and preached in, under the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. We saw last time that this is not some mystical venture into hell that Christ made after his death on the cross, but before his resurrection, but rather he's just setting up the foundation that, hey, I'm about to talk about baptism and I'm going to use Noah's day to explain that. And he's just saying there that in the days of Noah, Christ through the spirit, through Noah preached to those disobedient people in that day. And that's what we're doing today. We're preaching to disobedient people. Even, even those of us that are here are disobedient people, right? I mean, we're all disobedient to one extent or another. We need to be reminded of that and corrected. And especially in the world out there, there's a lot of disobedient people. There's a lot of folks that aren't here this morning that need to hear the truths of God's word. And then he says this, he says, the like figure whereunto baptism, even baptism, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, without reviewing too much more, I just want to remind you as well that baptism saves us. 
Remember that baptism saves us, but baptism doesn't save us eternally. Baptism doth now save us. There is a there is a salvation in baptism. We talked about that last time. It's not an eternal salvation, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. If your conscience has been if your heart has been touched and you've been made new by the work of the Holy Ghost, then then your conscience is there now with a consciousness of sin with a consciousness of who you are by nature and who you now are by the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know, that's why people uh, get mistaken into thinking they got to do something in order to be saved. Because when you're born again, when a baby's born, the baby wants to do something. If it's a healthy baby, the baby starts crying. The baby starts crying for nourishment. The baby starts crying for comfort. And you know, when you're born of the Spirit, you begin to cry like that. And if somebody takes you then and says, okay, what you're experiencing is not really having been born again. It's just the conviction of the Spirit and you got to do something to get born again. But that makes sense, you see, to the, to the person who's been born again because you want to do something. Well, I got good news for you. What you got to do, there is something you need to do, but it's not something to get you born again. You wouldn't be crying out if you weren't already born, you see. Just like a baby. So the good news is this, is yes, there's something for you to do. Take up your cross and follow him. And the first way you do that is to follow him in New Testament baptism. If you've been born of the Spirit, then you need to be baptized. That's just the way it is. I mean, you say, well, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting for some experience. I'm waiting for, waiting for the Lord to tell me. And I, that's kind of the way I was. I got baptized the first time when I was 19 years old. I'd been born again. I'd had a consciousness of God for a decade or more, maybe more than that. I kept waiting. I was thinking, well, Lord, I'll, I'll get baptized when you want me to. Well, I got news for you. The Lord wants you to. <laughs> He's not going to pick you up and bring you down here and say, okay, now's the time. <laughs> but I tell you what, he, what he'll do. You won't have a, 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 an assuaged conscience until you do follow him in the New Testament baptism. See, that, see, baptism is the answer of a good conscience. When you've been born of the Spirit, when you've been born again, you want to do something. There's something prompting you to do something. Not, see, it's not to get born because you've already been born, but it is to follow him because you now are a born-again child of God. And that is baptism. And you know what? We said this last time. I don't want to review too much, but... Baptism saves you, child of God. It saves you here and now, not for heaven. You know how it saves you? Well, first of all, it saves you from not having been baptized. You'll never feel really comfortable as a child of God. There'll always be something that may, you may cover it up. You may go long enough in your life that you kind of smooth it over and it doesn't really uh, bother you as much anymore. But, but that will always be there deep down inside that you feel like you need to do something. You need to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism. But also, baptism is the entryway into the church. We talked about that last time. And you notice it said, it saves you like the water saved those eight souls that were on the ark. You say, wait a minute, the water saved them? <laughs> I thought the ark saved them. Yeah, the ark saved them. They were in the ark. But you know what the water did? The water washed away the wickedness of the world. It literally separated them from the wickedness that's out there in the world. 
baptism in a figurative sense saves you, child of God, from the wickedness that's out there in the world. You know what it does? It brings you officially, if you will, into the fold of that local church of God, that church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that church we're told over in, over in Isaiah, I believe it is, it talks about the bulwarks. It talks about the palaces. It talks about the towers. You know what the church, the, the city of God's all about? It's all about equipping you to deal with the problems of the world. You know, you can, you're going to be in heaven. You know, if you're a child of God, you're going to be there, whether you're ever a member of a church or not. But what the church will do, if it's doing its job, it will help you equip, be equipped to deal with all the problems you're going to face in life. That's what we talked about last time. But today, I want to, I want to kind of move into another area. We've, we've covered this before. We talked about it when we were doing our Articles of Faith. But you see, we're told that the Word of God is like a nail. Okay, it's like a goad. And... Uh, you know, I don't know about you. I've tried to drive some nails in my life. And now they got these little nail guns now that are nice and handy. But when you take a hammer and you get ready to drive a nail, I strongly advise you not to try to, try to drive that nail with one leg. Because <laughs> if you're holding that nail here and you rear back and say, I'm going to make sure I drive that nail all the way in with the one lick, you're probably going to miss the nail and hit some fingers. And that's not going to be good for your walk with the Lord. I promise you that. <laughs> See, how do you drive a nail? You hit it, and you hit it, and you hit it, and you hit it some more until it's driven in. And that's the way the Word of God is. Sometimes we need to go over things again, and sometimes again and again and again. So, so forgive me this morning if you recall everything I preached about before on baptism and how we do it and why we do it and that sort of thing. But I do believe the Lord has sort of been on me this week to preach this again. So maybe it'll help us all to review. First of all, I want to talk about how we baptize. How we baptize. We baptize here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church with a method of immersion. In fact, our Articles of Faith, Article 7, says that we believe that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. Now, you know, you say, well, that's a quaint tradition, but I see other churches have different traditions. Do you have anything to back that up, preacher? Well, that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. You see, first of all, the word itself, the definition of the word itself, we believe, requires immersion. That is, taking the candidate for baptism, placing them under the water, and bringing them back up out of the water. Immersion, not sprinkling, not pouring. We believe that the word itself demands that. See, some form of the word baptize occurs 115 times in 91 verses in the King James Bible. And, God, and the Greek word choice is significant. See, the, we believe this is the inspired word of God. We believe God knows everything. And we believe when he prompted a man to write a particular word, it means something. You know, there's a reason that the Lord describes the new birth as a birth. Regeneration is called the new birth. He used that example because he knew we would know what that means. The word means something. He, there's a reason he said we're dead in trespasses and in sins. Because he expected us to know what dead means. 
The problem with many in the world today, religious world today, is they don't know what dead means. Dead means dead. Dead means there's nothing, no activity, no brain activity, no heart activity, no bodily activity, nothing, you see. And he expected us to understand the definitions of these words. So the word baptize means something. See, there were two other words God could have used if he had meant to sprinkle or to pour. There's a Greek word called hreno, hreno, or hrantizo. Both of those words mean to sprinkle. One of them means to sprinkle actively or to moisten. The other one means to be sprinkled or to be moistened, okay? There's another word. That word, as best I can tell, hreno does not appear in the scriptures anywhere. There's another Greek word called ekkeo or keo, it's spelled with an X, um, the, the, the letter chi. And that word means to pour forth uh, uh, or, or to gush out. Uh, it means uh, to shed or to spill, okay? Now, that word is used. You don't have to turn there, but sometime when you get a chance, read Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1, where he's, Brother Buddy's almost to this. He's in chapter 15 now. But Brother Buddy's almost to this in his exposition on Revelation. And it says, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. They use that Greek word, ekkeo, that means to pour out. Okay. It does not mean to baptize. He did not interchangeably use. He didn't say go baptize the earth. He said, you take the vials and pour them out because there's a difference in that. Instead of using either one of those Greek words, God prompted the writers to use the word baptizo. Baptizo or babto. Baptizo means to immerse or to submerge. And, and there's another definition in the Liddell and Scott's uh, lexicon that I have. I got it when I was in college uh, taking Greek. It's not geared towards theological definitions necessarily. He's it's primarily talking about ancient Greek, uh, the ancient Greek language. And it means to dip repeatedly or to dip under. And that word, that word comes from the Greek word babto, which is a primary verb, which, verb, which means to cover wholly with a fluid or to die. It's used in the sense of dying something. Now, you can't dye a shirt by sprinkling, can you? You know, you can say, I'm going I'm to dye that shirt. No, you might call that a tie-dye or something, but they didn't have that in the Old Testament times. That's just a messed up shirt. That's all that is. But if you want to take a white shirt and make it red, then you need to take it and put it under the dye. You need to fully submerge it in the dye. Or you can do like I have done before and wash it with something red. But that, they also didn't have washing machines back then either. So in Vine's expository dictionary, it tells us that this word was used among the Greeks to signify the dyeing of a garment or the drawing of water by dipping a vessel into another. What do you do when you dip a vessel? You don't kind of skim the surface. You dip it into, you see. Now, there's a couple of, uh, we, we, we certainly, we rely on scripture. We don't rely on archaeology or history. But sometimes archaeology and history and historic literature can inform how we understand something from the Bible. 
Plutarchus uses it in his writings about the drawing of the wine by dipping that down into the, the cup down into the bowl, go down in the bowl, not on top of it. And you don't take the, the water and sprinkle it into the cup or you don't take the bowl and pour it into the cup. There's a Greek poet and physician named Nicander who lived about 200 B.C. He uses two forms of the word baptized to describe how to make pickles, okay? He says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped or babto, the word babto, into boiling water and then baptizo, baptized in the vinegar solution. The idea here being in both cases, they're dipped into and under and particularly the, the, the baptizo is immersed in the solution that helps to make those vegetables into pickles. Now again, that's non-biblical, extra-biblical uh, sources. But more importantly than that is what does the Scripture say? And here's something very important, very important. Nowhere in any verse, in any Scripture, is there any hint of pouring or sprinkling. As a matter of fact, the context shows us that rather than sprinkling or pouring, every single time there's a baptism, there's enough water that they go down into the water. For instance, look with me over to Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, as we begin to read about John the Baptist's ministry, John the baptizer, if you will, we read this. He starts off in chapter 3 that he... Uh, John begins preaching in the wilderness, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And notice down in verse 5, it says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Notice what it says, in Jordan, not on the banks of Jordan. They went down into the water. Later on in that chapter, verse 16, we're told that Jesus was baptized. And it says Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And the heavens were opened and the spirit of the Lord descended like a dove. See, Jesus came up out of the water, which means he was in the water when he was baptized. You say, why? You say well, preacher, maybe, why didn't the Lord just say here, and by the way, it's not sprinkling or pouring, it's immersion. I'll tell you why he said that. Because he'd already told us in the definition of the word baptize what it was. He didn't have to explain it any further. He says, I baptize you, that is immerse you in the water. <laughs> you see, it's in the water, not outside of the water. You know, in fact, it would have, it would have been kind of a, almost an oxymoron to say I was baptized outside of the water in that day because the word baptized, as we've already said, means to immerse. You can go on and read, and I won't turn there, but you can look in John chapter 3 over there about the disciples when they were baptized. We're told that John was baptizing there because there was much water there. Let's just turn there just so you'll know I'm not misquoting that. John chapter 3 in verse 23 says, and John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. 
You don't need much water to sprinkle. You don't need much more water to pour. But you need much water to get a grown man, especially a bunch of grown men, down into the water to be immersed. I'll never forget about that story that Brother Tim told, and I've heard it from Brother David Crawford as well, when they were at the Rich Mountain Association a couple of years ago. And a man joined there at the Rich Mountain Association. There had been a massive thunderstorm the night before. It felt like they said it was going to blow everybody away. Everybody was fearful for it. But, you know, that thunderstorm that was very powerful, very scary, it raised the level of the creek there by just enough that they could baptize that young man who wanted to be baptized. See, before it was too shallow, but by the time that storm was over, the Lord had flooded that valley there with enough water that that man could be baptized. Wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have needed it if he was sprinkling, but he was being immersed, you see. Turn with me over to Acts now just for a second. One of the most famous places that we know of that teaches several truths about baptism. Philip, you recall the evangelist was down in Samaria and then God said to him, I want you to go over to uh, I want you to go over to the desert. In fact, he picked him up, if you will, and he took him into the desert. Um, he, by the Spirit, was transported there. I'll put it that way. He was, by, he was transported into the desert. By the way, one of the lessons there is, if you're a preacher, it's wonderful to have huge congregations. I'm thankful for our, our congregation has always been larger than many of the congregations that I go to visit, you know, and Brother Tim's got an even bigger congregation. That's wonderful. But if you're a preacher, you better be you better be willing to preach and to baptize those many. But you also better be willing to preach to and baptize the one. He went down there to one Ethiopian eunuch. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.